This episode is sponsored by me, Andy Hill, the host of this show. If you're looking for someone to support you on your family, wealth, and happiness journey, I'm taking on a select number of coaching clients this year. To work with me one-on-one for your family finances, go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more. Most of your happiness comes from living what's the equivalent of a middle-class lifestyle and then spending time with family, spending time with friends, spending a lot more money than the average person doesn't tend to make people much, if at all, happier. This show is dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Thank you so much for being here today, everybody. When you truly take control of your money and achieve financial independence, doors start to open up that you never thought were even possible. As a young parent with children... This newfound freedom and opportunity allows you to enjoy more time with your kids and make lifelong memories together. The Physician on Fire is my guest today, and he is a perfect example of this type of family financial success. He manages and writes for his popular Physician on Fire blog, which is dedicated to informing and inspiring both physicians and their patients about the benefits of financial independence. After working a nine-year medical career, Physician on Fire has reached financial independence at 39 years old. Recently, he went from full-time anesthesiologist to part-time in order to spend more time with his wife and two young boys and travel the world. Welcome to the show, Physician on Fire. Thank you very much, Andy. That was a very energetic introduction. I'll do my best to uh, match maybe maybe half of that energy. But <laughs> that's what I do, man. You're on, right. you're on fire, so we'll, we'll I'll try to be on fire like you. There we go. <laughs> right on. So yeah. how did how did you become aware of financial independence to to begin with? It's obviously made a huge change in your life, a huge um, you know the ability for you to live your best life. So how did you become aware of it originally? Uh, like so many. Other people I, I hear interviewed and talked to, they they found this uh, guy named Mr. Money Mustache. Uh, and for me, it was a, a Market Watch article, I believe, that I uh, just stumbled across when I was browsing the web looking at uh, articles in uh, USA Today Money or something like that. Uh, and I just, I, I kind of read it with some intrigue and then dismissed it and <laughs> went on with my life. Um, but just a couple months later, I was studying for this board exam that I would have to take every 10 years to extend my career. And uh, it was just really painful to have to disappear to the library a couple hours a day and study this stuff that didn't really apply to the job I actually did these days. And mm-hmm. and I, I thought back, what what was that guy? Like Pete was his name. And I, and I Googled it and searched it and found it. And when I actually read enough to understand the full concept of what financial independence is, I realized that we pretty much had it and I was there. And then I probably wouldn't have to take this test again in 10 years. And that was really uh, a big weight off my shoulders right there and right then and there. So you were looking for ways to, you know, not, <laughs> not do the things that the monotonous things in your life that don't really provide value. And that was sort of what excited you about this uh, ability to uh, not only just recognize where you were with your financial independence journey, but consider, Hey, maybe I can, maybe I can make some changes in my life that will allow me to enjoy it a little bit more. Is that right? Yes. And it was very eye opening. You know, I just figured, you know, you, you spend all this time to, uh, you know, get educated and, and train and, and perfect, you know, the, the job that I do as an anesthesiologist. And well, then I have to do it for, I don't know, at least 20, 30 years. Right. But, um, and I had done the math and then looked at, you know, how much money we had roughly didn't think about how much I needed, just kind of looked at how much we had invested. And, and then I, I did some projections and I figured we'd, we'd hit $10 million eventually. Um, but being relatively frugal, at least compared to my peers, there was no reason I should ever need or really even want $10 million. So, uh, you know, with, uh, with a fraction of that, I realized, yeah, we were financially independent and it still took a couple of years before I really made changes. Um, in the intro, you mentioned, you know, nine years, that's when I realized it was FI, but, uh, it wasn't uh, until, uh, six months ago, which I'm now, uh, just about 12 years into my career that I, I did, uh, come back to part-time. So That's incredible. it's been a slow transition, but a good one. Well, so let's talk a little bit about how you are 
magically FI already because you know that, that that just doesn't happen, right? You know, <laughs> you're making some great money and you probably have a high savings rate, right? But where where did that come from in your life? Was that something that you always knew about that you needed to be saving? Where did that come from in your life? I think it mainly came from my parents. My dad was a dentist, and we grew up well enough, certainly pretty well. Um, you know, we had a lake cabin, and and oftentimes we would go garage sale shopping or, or stopping at thrift stores on the way. So there's a little bit of irony there. We had our little second home in, in Northern Minnesota. And, uh, and by virtue of having that, we ended up doing a lot of, uh, um, you know, shopping for, for deals and value. And, and so I, I grew up just appreciating the value of a dollar, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, once I came into a lot of money, I, I wasn't used to spending a lot of money and, I, I had read enough about investing to know that I could grow my money uh, if I didn't spend it. So that's what I did. That's incredible. So you 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 had some high savings rate probably throughout this process. Talk talk about how you built your wealth to to get to that point of financial independence. Tell, tell us tell us the the pieces and parts that made that come together. Sure, and it's it's tough to just narrow down to like we save X percentage of of my income because in the first two years. I did traveling work. They call it locum tenens in the medicine world where I would take a job where my housing was paid for. I might even get a per diem for food. Uh, my wife was traveling with me. And so my expenses were just about zero. They paid for the rental car, the flights, everything. And and so the first two years, we just saved cash. And then we decided to settle down and build a home. And so a lot of the money I had saved went into that. And, but I'd been building up, uh, it was a SEP IRA at the time. So I put in the maximum I could, which was 45 to 50,000 a year mm-hmm. back then a decade ago. And, uh, and then once we got settled into a, you know, quote unquote permanent job, then I started building up a taxable account because I was maxing out every tax advantage account that I had. And when I started, uh, you know, the money starts making money, you know, after a while, you realize your your investments are returning almost as much as you can earn, which is really a great place to be. And that's kind of where I was after a decade of of doing that. But we moved a couple times. Uh, the hospital I used to work for actually went bankrupt, closed down, and and we found a job on kind of short notice, and then moved again. So every year was not a normal year. It was just we were maybe buying a house, maybe selling a house, maybe both. And it's only in the last five years that I've been kind of in one place and and we paid cash for our home so now I don't have that mortgage expense and yeah we've been saving roughly 75 to 80% of my uh, take home pay my net pay and that's just over half of the gross pay because taxes take up about a third wow. of what what my income is now Oh wow that that's incredible a couple questions that come come out of that um, yeah. talk to talk to us about what those tax advantage accounts that you were utilizing uh, when you when you max those out what what were those sure i was self employed for the first half of my career and so it was a sep ira uh, I could have done an individual 401k, which is actually what I would do uh, looking back because when you're in a, uh, a higher tax bracket, you can't contribute directly to a IRA, but you can do a backdoor Roth IRA if you don't have IRA money in your money that's tax in your name that is tax deferred. Uh, and so I was doing a separate IRA. I would have done, if I had known what I know now, uh, an individual or solo 401k. Mm-hmm. Uh, beyond that, um, when I was an independent contractor, there wasn't much else. But I think the limit now is about 55000 that you can put into that. So that's a decent chunk right there of tax-deferred uh, investments per year. Uh, nowadays, I am employed, and I have been for the last six or seven years, and I have a 401k, and now that's 18500 a year, a 457b, which is the same limit, an HSA, which is a health savings account. And for a family, it's almost $7,000 that we can put into that each year. And that's, that's about it for the tax advantage stuff. I do have a little bit of side income now that I have a blog. Mm-hmm. And so I do have an individual 401k that I put uh, 20% of that, the blog profits into. And so the whole, the main point about this, everybody, in our conversation here is just to show the opportunity for you to save on your taxes. If you're a high income earner, 
uh, like Position on Fire is, this is a great opportunity for you to keep more and give Uncle Sam less. <laughs> so, exactly. So the, I just recently wrote a post on how to decide whether you should make Roth contributions or traditional contributions. And, and once you get above, let's say now it's the 24% tax bracket into the 32, and then you add state tax, maybe your marginal tax rate is 35 to 45%. It's kind of a no-brainer to make tax-deferred contributions, mm-hmm. traditional contributions, because for every $1,000 you put into your account, that's uh, maybe you know $400, give or take, that you don't owe in taxes. And most of us, especially if you're at all considering uh, uh, fire or retiring early, you're going to be in a lower tax bracket later on. It's pretty tough to be in a you know, a tax bracket where you have taxable income of 300000 or more uh, as a retiree, you know, unless unless you worked for 40 years, maxing out only with traditional contributions. But anyway, yeah, long story short, uh, if you make a lot of money, I think uh, traditional tax deferred is, is the way to go. That makes a lot of sense. So you, you outside of the tax advantaged accounts, you took um, you started going into the taxable brokerage. Is that what you are now um, considering utilizing in a an early retirement scenario to to live off of, or are you going to try to find ways to tap into the tax advantaged accounts? There's really no need to tap into those tax advantaged accounts because I did start that taxable account, and in recent years, that's been the bulk of our investing. So, uh, when I look at my portfolio, it's just a little over half uh, from taxable from brokerage. So. Yeah, we'll we'll be using that. Um, it does spin off some dividends. I'm kind of an anti-dividend guy. I'd rather not have them because I get taxed on them when I'm in these higher tax brackets. Uh, but with the two percent or so per year that I get from the index funds, that'll cover enough to maybe pay for a third to half of our annual spending, and then. Well, like I said, I do have some blog income, and that that muddies the picture a bit. But if it wasn't there, uh, I've got a plan to that we could easily live off taxable until fifty nine and a half or or longer, and that's when we can access all of our money penalty free easily. Of course, there are, as I'm sure you've talked about in different episodes, ways to get to uh, you know your four hundred one k and IRA money and Roth money before uh, traditional retirement age. Actually, we haven't spent a lot of time on it, to be honest with you. Oh, so, boy. Yeah, if you have okay. some thoughts on it, I'd love to hear them. Um, sure. Well, Roth IRA is, is simple. You can access the contributions at any time. So if you put in $1,000 into a Roth IRA, you can take out the $1,000. You just can't spend the earnings without paying a penalty. Um, if you do Roth conversions, so let's say you have an IRA and you convert money in the IRA to Roth, after five years, you can take the money that was converted out. And so for me, I, I used to have a SEP IRA. I talked about that. In 2010, there was a window um, that actually never closed, but there was a, a time that uh, you were able, no matter what your income was, to make Roth conversions. And before that, you were not able to do that if you made over a certain amount of income. And so I took my entire SEP IRA, did a big Roth conversion, paid over a hundred grand in taxes. Uh, but that was more than five years ago. And so now that 300 some thousand dollars that I converted is now available to me if I want. Hmm. So after, after the five year window, then you have after the five year, like what seasoning period. Yep. Then you have access to that money, just not the earnings from it, not the growth. So if I have, let's just say, this is a total fiction here, if I have like $150,000 in my 401k at work and mm. I want to eventually get access to that, let's say I left my, my position, I would transfer that into a traditional IRA or do a rollover. Yep. Call that a rollover, yep. yep. And then um, I could transition that to a, a Roth so what people do, they call it a Roth ladder. Roth you know, ladder, okay. Same idea as a CD ladder. So each year, let's say for five years, out of that $150,000, you could convert $30,000. Mm. And then starting in the fifth year or the sixth year after the five-year seasoning period, you'll have $30,000 available to withdraw each year, mm-hmm. no matter what age you are. Yep. Right? So and if each you do time it's a taxable event, right? Each time I would do that, it would be taxed. But, the conversions are, are yes. Tax, yes. Of course, the withdrawals from Roth would not be. Okay. Okay. Yep. 
Exciting. It's exciting. Oh, this yeah. whole, uh, your, your whole world. I love it. I love it. So let's talk a little bit about what, what you're excited about with that money. Um, you, you've talked a little bit about doing some some traveling with your family. Uh, I understand you have, uh, you're married and you have two, two young boys. Uh, why yes. is, why is traveling so important to you and your family? It's fun. I, I don't know. I don't know why it's so important. I, th- I think, uh, you know, I, th- I think it's good to have our kids get out and, and see the world and, and know what's out there. And, uh, and I think it's just great for education and growth. And I, and for me, it's, it's fun. I just enjoy exploring new places and, and seeing new cultures. So the last six months that I've got this part-time position and I work, uh, long hours for seven days straight. And then I'm off about three or four weeks at a time, uh, which gives us the opportunity to go somewhere and stay there for quite a while. So we've done so far, we've done two or three lengthy trips. Uh, yeah, three, I guess. We went to Mexico, a city called Guanajuato in the central highlands of Mexico. It's a kind of a college town of about a hundred, 150,000 people, really pretty, very scenic and safe. And we spent three weeks there in November, uh, and we loved it. And we took some Spanish language classes and it, it was just a really vibrant city. The evenings, the cafe is outdoor everybody just having a good time and um would love to go back for three months or or longer but uh, three weeks is all i can do at a time right now Uh, we also went to hawaii uh, most of february hopped around uh, to a few different islands uh kids love the beach you know and uh and there's some culture there too that that we got to be uh immersed in a little bit you know to the polynesian cultural center and went to some of the uh, uh sites from King Kamehameha. I think I may have said that right. Anyway, um, yeah, and it's been great. And then most recently, we just got back from a two-week trip to Honduras, and the bulk of that was spent on a medical mission where I did anesthesia, and my wife and kids uh, helped out around the property, which this one is called NPH Honduras, and it's a large uh, children's home on a 2,100-acre ranch. And so there are several hundred kids living there and lots of opportunities for our kids to interact with them and, and help out around the, the place. So that was a very rewarding experience and eye-opening in a lot of ways for, for all of us. Oh, that's beautiful. That's so beautiful. I mean, you know, I think about some of the things that pop into my head or anybody listening originally like, well, well, how do the kids not go to school for a couple of weeks or, you know, how, how do they, how do they still get educated? Talk to us a little a bit about how question. that happens. Yeah. And I don't think everyone is going to have the same opportunity that, that we did, but uh, our kids are enrolled in public school. They, uh, they're not homeschooled, at least not at this point. Um, but we met with our principal a year ago and said, this is what we were proposing. We would like to disappear for a few weeks at a time, maybe once per uh, trimester, a quarter. And this is what we're going to do. And this is why, you know, and we, we mentioned there would be some, you know, some immersion, some language, some cultural activities, et cetera. And he was thrilled. He's like, that's great. They're going to learn so much more there than they'll learn in the confines of this building. So uh, he, he was all about he was all for it. Uh, certainly easier to do when you're in grade school mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to having kids in, in high school or even junior high or middle school. But uh, I was worried there would be some you know, truancy laws and you know you get a letter if you miss more than 10 days or something. But uh, as long as our kids kept up with the, the schoolwork and they would bring their math books and, and do some writing and reading and whatnot. But in grade school, it's pretty easy to keep up with what goes on at school while you're away. That's incredible. Well, that's like the, the, the opportunity that you've built for yourself, not only to um, have those great conversations with the school system, but also for your uh, employment to have that flexibility. So talk a little bit about how you worked out this part-time situation. Obviously, given um, your ability to build up your wealth, you're able to live a little bit more on that money. Uh, so you've right. been able to go part-time, but how did you organize that situation with your employer? Yeah, I mean, one real nice advantage to being financially independent is that when you want to negotiate, you're you're in a position of strength because you literally can walk away and it won't hurt you uh, financially, at least not your ability to maintain your current lifestyle. So uh, it started as a conversation. 
I think I've been dropping hints with uh, one of my work buddies that I work with, and there are five of us, five anesthesiologists uh, that are employed by the hospital. Uh, two of us are on a curling league together, and it was a uh, concession night, and I, I was just, uh, he and I were, were working the, the concession stand, slinging beers, and I said, you know, uh, I might be ready to maybe cut back sooner than uh, than what we had maybe talked about, which was one of our senior partners, uh, maybe uh, sharing a job with me someday later on. And he said, yeah, I, I got the sense that might happen. And I've thought <laughs> this through. I think I know how we can do it. I said, oh, really? T- tell me about this. And he said, well, you know, there's a couple of us that are working in other places on our sometimes to make extra money. And, you know, if, if we could just cover your shifts rather than, you know, driving an hour or two away to work somewhere else, well, we did pretty much take care of itself. And so it turned out the way it worked out that the other four are each working 10% more or 10% of my shifts and I'm working 40% less. And the administration looked at it and said, well, it's, you know, it's budget neutral. Uh, if you guys are happy with that schedule, you know, we can uh, adjust the numbers and make it work on our end. So it was surprisingly easy. I didn't expect it to happen, but, uh, yeah, I'm glad that it did. That's great. Well, like you said, like when you're in that position of you've built your wealth and your confidence level to negotiate that type of situation and you have the ability to walk away, you could, I mean, worst case scenarios, they say no. And you're like, OK, well, I'll figure mm-hmm. out something else. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> That's very cool. So talk, you started to talk, mention your peers and, and some of the colleagues that you work with and you know, maybe they're hearing your, your, your savings rate or, or what you do, or maybe you don't share this, uh, you know, given your anonymity, but, um, what, what, what type of, uh, what, what type of lives are you seeing within the, the medical industry with regard to spending? And, uh, you know, are, are you seeing other folks that are saving like you are, or is there, or, or is there a lot of the lifestyle creep come in, um, based on the, the additional salary increase from residency to, uh, to the full-time gig? Well, it certainly runs the gamut. You know, there there are people who have been following me or the white coat investor or just on their own accord have, you know, gotten used to living like a student or a resident for so many years that that they maybe continue that so they can start paying down their student loan debt, which you know, the average is like $200,000 coming out of medical school. And then it grows during residency usually because you can't afford to make the basic payments. But um, you definitely see what you talked about, lifestyle creep, or it's more like lifestyle explosion because you go from a salary of like about $50,000 a year, which is not a bad salary, but you're working 60 to 80 hours a week to, to make that as a resident. Um, and then you start making... Two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars or more uh, overnight. Really, you know, from June thirtieth to July first, that's the salary change. And so, yeah, a lot of people will, will you know, get the dream house, six bedroom, four bathroom, you know, monstrosity. And I did something like that too. I, I bought a, or I built a, a very, very nice large home uh, on the water. And yeah, it's just, uh, it, it's, it's all over the map. But I think more people are getting the message that. You're not rich. You're actually 30, 30 something when you finish residency and broke and worse than broke, you know. So I've got a Facebook group, uh, Physicians on Fire, where I, I have a thousand physicians now all with an interest in financial independence and trying to get other people you know, on board with the idea of, of not, not spending that, that big attending paycheck. Yeah, that's incredible. So you mentioned the home that you had. Is that the one that you said that you were able to pay with cash? Uh, currently this home? Yes. Um, the first home that we built, which is in the town where the hospital went bankrupt, that was the 4,000 square foot, four bedroom, four bath, three floors, waterfront, granite everywhere. Beautiful home. Mm -hmm. And we lost about a quarter million dollars when we did eventually sell it uh, in a small town where once the hospital was gone, there weren't many buyers for a place like that. So, yeah. So the, um, the home that you have now, how, how is that different from, from the current, from your first home? Uh, it's got two floors. It is on water, although not, uh, not the, not usable water. We can't really put a dock. We're on a pretty fast moving river now. Um, it is decent sized. We're at, I think, 3,600 feet if you count all of the basement, which is finished. And well, but the cost was half of what we 
spent on that first home. Got it. So it's a 1950s home, fits our style, but it's not as luxurious um, by any stretch of the imagination. Oh, that's incredible what you've done, what you've been able to do, especially now you said that uh, you said you own that one outright. Is that right? Yep. That's incredible. Yep. Very cool. So how, how old are your kids? They are in second and third grade. They're seven and nine years old. Excellent. And, and does your wife uh, work as well or does she um, does she stay at home with the boys? She has stayed home. Mm-hmm. She did train as a uh, dietitian, registered dietitian, but hasn't really worked in the field because she was, I think, five months pregnant when she finished her internship. Yeah. Yeah, my, mm-hmm. my wife's been home with the with the kids as well, so we got a we got a mm-hmm. similar situation. So I, yeah. I want to talk about the kids a little bit. Um, I was reading some of your your work on Physician on Fire, and uh, I understand that your father, as you mentioned at the top of the show, was a big influence for you, helping you learn the rule of seventy two and the power of compound interest. Yeah, how are you working to keep that legacy of financial independence and uh, wealth building going for your kids? Well, I, I know one thing I don't want to do is just hand the money, right? That, that's not going to teach them to earn money and to keep money and to respect money. So we, uh, we're starting slowly. We do have um, a jar where they get a, uh, and a three-jar system. I'm sure you've mm-hmm. heard about, talked about spend, save, give, and they get a dollar into each each week if they do some some basic chores. And, and uh, a lot of that's just practicing their piano or guitar or ukulele they're doing now. Um, and then I also have, uh, I call it the bank of mom and dad. It's a spreadsheet because the piggy banks were getting pretty, pretty overstuffed with, you know, like first communion money and birthday money. And it gets to be hundreds of dollars after years and years, you know? And so now I, I just, I took all their money and confiscated it and uh, put it on a spreadsheet. So and now they have a spreadsheet that I show them that shows their balance, how much money they have that I can pay them out because I'm the bank. And every month they give them 1% interest. And so they see that, you know, one in one month they go from having, let's say, $432 to $438 without doing anything. And, and uh, so they're young. We're talking about money in front of them. We certainly don't avoid the topic. We try to talk about how we make purchases, how we evaluate, uh, you know, what is a good value and what isn't. And, and then eventually they'll probably know about this website that I have. They don't know right now, uh, which is kind of crazy. I do spend way too much time in my office with it sometimes, but, uh, and, and they'll have that as a resource, you know, and then they'll see, that I was able to leave um, paid employment when they were pretty young. And I think they will, you know, some people worry about, well, if they don't see you work, how are they going to know? Mm-hmm. Well, they've, they've seen me miss enough dinners and disappear, you know, in all, all hours of the day and night to, to know that I do work and they're old enough to remember that. So I'm not too worried about that. But I think the, the lesson is for them to see that by saving my money and and not driving a really nice car and not living in the the highest end home that we could afford, you know, based on what the mortgage lenders will, will give us, I think that they'll they'll learn from that. Uh, and so leading by example in some ways. I was I was just listening to an interview um, from a psychologist about just parenting and, and parenting behavior in general. How do we get our kids to do the things that we want them to do, right? How do we get them to, mm-hmm. you know, get them to do what we want them to do? And then the psychologist said three things, modeling, modeling, and modeling. So yeah. whatever you do, uh-huh. hopefully they'll, they'll follow along because we can talk to them all day long about what we want them to do. But if we're cigarette smokers and we don't want them to smoke cigarettes, then... right. They're not going to listen. So I, I reverse psychology did not come up at all. See, I think that <laughs> that's also a good one. Plays a I use that a lot too. with my little kids. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm going to brush my teeth before you do. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. Well, I, I love those conversations we're having, too. And, 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 you know, what does that mean for you right now? I mean, you've gotten to this point where you've built your wealth up to a really great point and you now have this. Um, you know, financial independence status. What does that mean for you as a father to be able to be there for your kids when you want to? It's awesome. I, uh, yeah, the first uh, half of my career, I worked you know, more than full time and uh, I was just, I was just gone a lot. And um, it's not that I, I didn't miss them growing up or anything, but 
but now I've got the time to, like I said, we can travel together and explore the world. We're, we're doing three weeks at a time now. And I kind of envision doing maybe three months at a time in the future when I, I'm not, um, working in one place, you know, you can't really do anesthesia from a distance, right? There are a lot of jobs that you can do that are location independent. Anesthesia is not one of them. Um, but yeah, but just having the, the opportunity to, you know, hang out with them at night, it's going to be great. We'll be back to the show in just a moment after a word from our sponsors. Are you looking for someone to walk alongside you on your journey to family financial independence? Well, I would love to help you achieve your goals and help your family thrive. I work with couples, individuals, and families all around the U.S. via video chat and can assist in the following areas. Becoming debt-free, growing your net worth, crafting and sticking to your budget, reviewing Coast Fire plans, developing strategies to build generational wealth for your kids, and designing your future work-optional lifestyle. Doesn't that sound nice? (laughs) If you're interested in working with me one-on-one, you can book a time with me by visiting marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching. I would love to help you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Visit marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more, or you can click the link in our show description. If you're looking to improve your financial situation, it helps when you're able to cut out unnecessary costs. Cell phone services are a necessity for sure, but we don't need to be overpaying for them, right? That's why I like Tello Mobile, a phone service worth talking about. We've been fully on board as a family with Tello for over two years now, and we are so happy that we made the switch. For us, the reception and data service is better than Verizon, and our costs were nearly cut in half. Tello runs on the T-Mobile network and it's wowing new customers like us with their rock bottom prices and stellar service. With over 10,000 reviews, Tello is rated as excellent on Trustpilot, and this is quite rare in the wireless world. Nicole and I went for the unlimited data, minutes, and texting plan for only 25 bucks per month each. Isn't that crazy? You heard that right. $25 is their most expensive plan, actually. And Tello is running a special offer for MKM listeners right now. Check out Tello today at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello and use the code MKM20 to get 20% off on your first month of service for any Tello plan above that $10 per month mark. Again, use MKM20 to get 20% off at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello, and you'll be supporting this show. Hurry up. The code is valid until April 19th, 2024. Marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. Thanks for considering our sponsors today, everybody. Let's jump back into that interview. And you, I mean, you, you mentioned uh, that you don't really want this this wealth to die. So you're going to have some good modeling behavior of what you're doing, and hopefully the kids are going to learn from that. Um, are you setting up anything uh, physically uh, outside of the JAR system right now, like uh, UGMA or UTMA, for the kids at a certain point in their life that they will receive some funds, or is that... Is that going to be on them to to get things going for them? Or like, I, I've heard I've heard folks. I talked to Bill Dwight about doing Roth IRAs for kids, things like that. Have you have you investigated anything else like that? Right, I, I've I've read up on all the options, and I haven't done anything yet. I have considered perhaps a, a Roth IRA. Of course, the kids need to earn money. But right. if you look at my website, you'll see their smiling mugs on the on pictures, um, you know, at least uh, once or twice a month. And so I, I could pay them a modeling fee and, and use that to uh, justify uh, contributing to a Roth IRA. So that's that's on the table. That might happen and maybe even as soon as this year. I have not gone the, uh, the, the trust way. I think yeah, I don't. I mean, we'll have the money if they need it. We can help them out. But right. I th- uh, and we're doing, of course, we're doing five twenty nine plans. I shouldn't say of course, but we are doing five twenty nines. And so each of our boys, and they don't know this yet, but they have a hundred thousand dollars each for college, and whatever they do beyond college, if they go to grad school or professional school. And I, I, I don't know if we'll keep funding those or not. They've still got time to grow before they would even access them. And it's a decent chunk of change. 
And I kind of want them to have some skin in the game, you know, if it gets to the point where they have enough to spend eight years at a private institution, then <laughs> they're not really going to have any good reason not to spend it all. So, uh, you know, with the hundred thousand dollars, well, that'll, that'll get you pretty far, but, but you would run out of money certainly within a couple three years at a lot of places. Um, I went to public schools all the way through uh, undergrad and medical school. And my wife did her uh, undergrad and graduate work at, at public schools as well. So uh, they've served us well. And I would I would like to see our, our kids at least uh, consider uh, going to uh, a good state public institution. Yeah, we're doing the public school route too. Works for us. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> so you have a charitable mission on your site that involves a donor advised fund. Can you tell us yes. about what that mission is and actually educate us a little bit about what a donor advised fund is? Sure. Uh, when I started my website, I was familiar with a few blogs and I read that some of them actually make decent money. And the whole premise of my site is that I started this after I realized I was financially independent and now I'm teaching about that to other physicians and other high income professionals. And I thought it was a bit disingenuous to uh, plaster ads in the right sidebar and have these affiliate relationships and do these things to profit when I'm telling people right off the bat that I don't need any more money. And so I decided that I would donate half of my profits uh, to charity and only half because I know I have some skin in the game that I'll, I'll try harder and, and do more with it than I would if I wasn't keeping any of the money, which is just human nature. It's how I am. Um, yes. And the donor advised fund is a really good way, especially for high income people. And especially if they plan to retire early to get some money set aside for future donations or current donations. But the way it works is you set up a donor advised fund and fidelity charitable is my favorite one vanguard has one with vanguard charitable it just has some higher minimums that make it a little less versatile and schwab has a good one that i've heard is similar to fidelity and there are hundreds of others but long story short it's an account that you donate money to or you donate um, funds like mutual funds or stocks that you've got and you get a tax deduction when you make that donation to the fund. You can give from the fund at any time now or in the future. So what I've done is I've built mine up, and the goal was to have about 10% of our retirement nest egg already donated to uh, this donor-advised fund. So we've been giving to and from that donor-advised fund, and we have now $250,000 uh, in that fund itself. And within the fund, the money is invested, so you can choose to put it in the total stock market or a, a blended fund with some international funds or bonds or whatever you want, just uh, just like a regular uh, brokerage account or an IRA, but uh, with some limited options. And yeah, it's, it's just a really good way to get some tax arbitrage where you take a deduction at your high marginal tax rate, and then when you're retired in, in a much lower bracket, you're still giving money from that that you've already the money's already benefited from that deduction. Got it. So at one point, when this grows to a certain level, then you are going to distribute as you please. Yep. And I have been all along. Mm -hmm. You know, um, one year we gave $100,000 into it, and maybe we gave out 10000 from it, you know, that sort of thing. So uh, I'm going to treat it a lot like I do my regular um, retirement assets. So the 4% rule says that you, if you have, okay, let's say $2.5 million, you could spend $100,000 a year. That's 4% of the money. Um, and there's a very low chance that you'll run out of money if you start at that level and then increase with inflation. And I'll do the same thing with the donor advised fund. I can be a little more uh, aggressive with the giving from it. So maybe I'll give 5 or 6% of the money each year. But the idea is that that money will last and last and last. And now if my site continues to take off, you know, maybe we'll grow that fund a, a lot bigger and then I'll give more and more from it each year. Um, but we'll just take it year by year. That's incredible. That's great. That's 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 a, a good mission to have. And I'm, I'm glad to hear that you're doing that. So I, yeah. I wanted to ask you two questions. Um, 
let's talk to the let's talk to the resident right now who's making the fifty thousand, mm-hmm. and um, you know, building up these loans and everything like that, and they're they're getting ready to be done with residency. Mm-hmm. What's one piece of advice that you would give that person uh, so that they can build wealth like you have? I would say continue to live like a resident or a little better than a resident once you get out because when you start making five times what you are making now, you, you won't get ahead if you don't, uh, you know, if you start spending five times what you're spending now. Right. So forget that paycheck. It, it you, you need to play catch up. You need to start paying down loans. You need to start, uh, saving the money that, you know, your colleagues who finished college at 22 or law school at 25, you know, they've been, they've been banking, in their retirement accounts for years and years now. So it's your time to play catch up on that, not time to buy the, the dream home and, you know, the fanciest car you can find. Yeah. It's almost like somebody who's won the lottery, right? You know, you're making mm-hmm. 50 and then you start out all of a sudden making 300. You don't even know what to do with it. It's right. It's a piece of responsibility, right? It's tempting, you know, it's tough. Yeah. Well, let's talk to the other person then. Let's talk to the person who's maybe in their 40s that is uh, making 200 but spending 200 And they're listening to this message saying, wow, I can't even imagine saving 75% of what, what we make. What's a, what's a piece of advice you'd give to them to get a little more, more power back in their lives so they can make some of these decisions with their family in mind? You know, I think what you really need to think about is, is what makes you happy and not just what you think makes you happy, but what has actually happy. And a lot of times there's a pretty big discrepancy there. Um, I think most of us were pretty happy in college, right? I mean, that was a fun time and, (laughs) and you didn't have any money and you barely spent any money, but you know what? (laughs) You're probably happy enough. You weren't thinking of a different time, but bottom line is, and there are a lot of studies that more or less support this. Most of your happiness comes from living What's the equivalent of a middle-class lifestyle? And then spending time with family, spending time with friends, um, spending a lot more money than the average person doesn't tend to make people much, if at all, happier. And so if, if the thing that you know, is, is making you unhappy right now is that you don't have time to do what you want, start spending less and working less and enjoying life more. And that's what we're doing. That's perfect. Yeah. So you mentioned... Um Mr. Money Mustache has a blog that uh, was influential to you early on yeah. as you're discovering fi and fire. Is there a book that you've uh, read recently or even in the past that you've said, wow, this really helped me to kind of understand how this all works? Yeah, The Millionaire Next Door was a really good introduction to really the kind of the concept of live like a resident. You know, he, he or they, Stanley and Danko, talk about how the millionaires did not look like what they expected. You know, they, they drove trucks, they wore blue jeans and they were basically practicing stealth wealth. And that's because you become wealthy by not spending your money. You don't become wealthy by spending money and flashing money and, and looking the part. So I I read that back when I was, I think, uh, just out of residency and that really resonated with me because that's kind of what I was doing already, but it's always nice to have that affirmation. Perfect. Well, where can people find you and learn more about you and follow these awesome family adventures you're going on? Thank you. I have a website that we mentioned, physiciaonfire.com. I'm pretty active on Twitter. The handle is the same, Physician on Fire. Um, I'm on Facebook. I've got a group for docs. That's Physicians on Fire. And of course, a page. And, uh, And my profile there is named milo anderson anderson with two s's and they made me make a name that's not my actual name (laughs) i am anonymous at least for now so uh yeah and uh email is pof at physicianonfire.com thank you so much for being here today physician on fire this was a lot of fun i learned a lot personally and i'm sure a lot of people did as well well thank you for having me What a joy to speak with a man that has built massive wealth for his family and has decided to put them first. He's designed a life that gives him freedom to travel with his family, grow their knowledge of different cultures, 
and become closer together in the process. As a dad and a budding investor, I learned a lot from this chat with Physician on Fire. Here are my top three takeaways. Number one, diversify your investing strategies. Obviously, diversification is important for your investing portfolio, but it's also important to diversify how you invest. Physician on Fire invested in a multitude of pre-tax retirement options like a SEP IRA, SEP IRA, or a 401k, or an HSA, or a 457B. These all helped him to bring his taxable income way down. He also invested in a taxable brokerage account very early on as well. Because he did this, he was able to tap into that money a lot sooner for his newfound financially independent lifestyle. Super cool. By diversifying the way he did, he's also set himself up for early retirement and his retirement at 59 and a half as well. Double retirement, I guess. (laughs) Number two, demonstrate wealthy habits to your children. It's one thing to tell your kids what to do. It's a whole other thing to model the behavior you want them to have. Physician on Fire lives by this. He's demonstrating hard work, He's demonstrating smart spending habits, and he's definitely demonstrating how you can design a lifestyle focused on family. On the smart spending point that I just made, Physician on Fire could have a much fancier car, a much fancier wardrobe, and a home, but instead, he chooses to save a massive amount of his earnings and secure his time freedom. Time freedom. It's a very cool concept. Number three, consider donor-advised funds to leave a lasting legacy. I didn't know much about donor-advised funds before this conversation today, but I love the concept. What is so enticing is that once you've built your fund up to a point, even call it whatever, 30, 40, 50 years from now, it could live on in perpetuity if you keep a safe withdrawal rate. Think about it. Your hard work and your high savings rate could make a permanent difference in solving a major global problem. Think about the things that you're passionate about in life. If you're able to build your wealth and use a donor-advised fund, you could be making a major difference. That's just incredible to me. (laughs) So those are my top three takeaways. Number one, diversify your investing strategies. Number two, demonstrate wealthy habits to your children. Number three, consider donor-advised funds to leave a lasting legacy. I realize that most of the folks listening, including me, are not multimillionaires like Physician on Fire. But that shouldn't be discouraging. That it should actually be encouraging. We get the opportunity to learn from somebody who's done something incredible with his life. Someone who's done something incredible for his family. Today, he was open and honest with us so we can all win as well. And that's really a true gift. Now it's time to announce the Money Master of the Week. Lexi from Rhode Island sent me a voicemail about a recent debt-crushing win. Let's hear from Lexi. Hi, Andy and listeners, and thank you so much for having me. My name is Lexi. I'm 23, uh, currently living in Rhode Island, and I run a blog called A Budgeting Blonde. My recent financial victory is that I am now debt-free just two years after graduating from college. Uh, In a little under eight months, I was able to pay off $11,000 of student and consumer debt. My saving grace was recognizing bad financial habits early on, and if this hadn't happened, uh, I really don't doubt that I'd be in a much worse situation today. Um, I started by either cutting or challenging every expense that I had. I canceled all my monthly subscriptions, switched cell phone insurance companies, and lived on a shoestring budget until every penny was paid off. At the same time, I started to research viable side hustles, um, and this truly made all the difference. I really can't emphasize enough how important it was for me to have a stream of income that I completely dedicated to debt. I started transcribing and captioning first. Uh, in addition to selling stuff on eBay and Poshmark, which I already was doing. I got involved with user testing and doing social media consulting locally. And soon I was making more money side hustling than I was at my job. Uh, Being debt-free is a really great feeling. It's taken so 
much stress out of my life. And it's really allowed me to focus on creating and achieving short-term goals, uh, like funding a trip to South Africa, as well as long-term goals, like setting up an investment account. And I'm actually on track to have $12,000 invested before the year's end. Um, getting out of debt is easier said than done. So if you'd like to read more about my debt story or my experience with side hustles, you can check out my blog at abudgetingbond.com. I love interacting with people on social media. So you can also follow me on Twitter at a budgeting and Instagram at a budgeting blonde. Thanks again. Debt free at 23. <laughs> that has an awesome ring to it. Congratulations, Lexi. My favorite part of this message from Lexi is that she did not increase her lifestyle with this $11,000 in her life. She saved money, managed it meticulously, and found extra money through various side hustles. Super impressive. It is so much easier just to increase your lifestyle or throw all your wants on a credit card, but Lexi took the road less traveled. Lexi's big win is less about paying off the debt, in my opinion, and it's more about lifestyle choice. Like the physician on fire, Lexi decided that being debt-free and growing her wealth was a priority for her. And at 23, now she has a extremely bright future ahead of her. If you want to learn more about Lexi and her side-hustling debt-freedom journey... Check her out at abudgetingblonde.com. That's abudgetingblonde.com. Lexi, thanks so much for connecting and congratulations for being our Money Master of the Week. Do you have a recent financial victory that you want to share on this show? Connect with me, people, at andy at marriagekidsandmoney.com or leave me a voicemail at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash voicemail. I would love to hear from you. Thank you so much. You'll find all the links and resources for today's show at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash session nine zero session 90. Holy moly. <laughs> Before we go for the day, I'd appreciate if you guys could take two minutes of your day and leave me a review for this show. The feedback is so helpful and it encourages others to give the show a try. Here's a recent one from DJ. Of all the personal finance information available for young married couples looking to make smart, informed decisions about their finances, this one is a must-hear. Andy's lessons go beyond finance and cover personal happiness in marriage and as a parent. Andy's perspective helps me keep my priorities balanced. Keep it going, Andy. Thanks so much, DJ. That is super encouraging. And it just, uh, when I read these things, it just helps me realize that there are people actually enjoying this and wanting me to keep going. So consider it, everybody. I'd really appreciate if you could go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Apple Podcasts for an Apple Podcast review, formerly known as iTunes. Or if you don't do Apple, Stitcher is another great spot to check out marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Stitcher. I really appreciate you considering it, everyone. In the spirit of growth and inspiration, I'm going to end the show with a quote today from Unknown. No amount of money or success can take the place of time spent with your family. I hope you enjoy some quality family time today, my friends. Carpe diem! Carpe diem! 